everyone and welcome to another episode of the You're So Quiet podcast. As always, I'm your host Chelsea Brown aka C Brown. I like to start with a quick mental health check. Like I've said before, I really don't do this for myself enough and I'm sure that I'm not the only one. So let me tell you, I'm having like one of those days, you know, kind of day I'm talking about where absolutely everything that can go wrong does go wrong and it's just endlessly frustrating. So, it starts off 7 a.m. when my alarm goes off in the morning. I was having a dream that I was with the Avengers. We were about to go on our second mission to correct the first mission because the first mission was a disaster thanks to me and we were on our way to fix it, but my alarm went off so Apparently, the fate of the universe must wait. So I get up, I make my coffee like normal, except that the night before, I did not strain out my coffee grounds. I make my own cold brew coffee. You have to let it sit for 16 to 24 hours in the refrigerator, the coffee grounds and the water together, so it kind of steeps. And I didn't strain it the night before. I always do it the night before because I am a nightmare in the morning before I've had my coffee and I can't do anything. So that took me about 15 minutes because I put it in my French press to strain it out and then I put the strained out coffee in the wrong container. It was terrible. (laughs) It was terrible. So finally, I get my cold brew, my oat milk, my creamer, and we, we're, like, back on track. I start watching my show. If I have somewhere to go in the morning, I just relax, wake up for, like, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. I start watching The Witcher again, season one. And I don't remember any of it because I was on my phone most of the time trying to answer texts and emails. So I didn't really get a chance to have my little nice wake up. Like, okay fine. I have a tennis match that morning, so I load up the car with my tennis stuff. I go to my friend's house first because I'm feeding her fish while she's away on vacation. One of her fish isn't eating because he has an attitude with me because he didn't want to wake up in the morning. It's not my problem. I'm just here to feed you. Eat the food. Don't eat the food. I I mean, I'm providing it for you, so do what you got to do. So I texted her about that, and we tried two different food types, and it still didn't want to eat. And I was just like, I I mean, I'll try something else in the evening, but I have to go. So I get to the tennis court. I'm like 20 minutes early thinking to myself, perfect. I have time to just, you know, put my shoes on, put my brace on, make sure I have sunscreen. Good to go. I take my tennis stuff out of the car and realize that I forgot my court shoes at home. So I race back home to get the shoes, bring the shoes back, and now I have only 10 minutes. I have not enough time to do all the things that I kind of have like a ritual of before I start to play. And I realized that I could have just worn my court shoes instead of like bringing them, but I was driving a manual car and it's hard for me to get a clutch feel with shoes that have a thick sole like that. So I was wearing just my normal running shoes. 
So, play play the match. Lost the match. <laughs> kind of sucks, but had some good points. I'm not really too upset about losing. I'm still fairly new in the tennis world. I've only been playing for a couple of years, but I really enjoy it and I like to play. But <laughs> the the problem was while we're playing, we actually played the first set really well. We won the first set. We lost the second set and I firmly believe that we lost because it started getting really hot. I live in Texas. It's September, but it's still like summer weather. I wear a mask while I'm playing and I have asthma. So all of that together just kind of makes it harder for me to move as quickly as I would like to. So maybe I just need better conditioning. I don't know, but that was just kind of sucky in general. So we lost the last set pretty badly, two to six, but it's fine. Good points. Like I said, I head home, I take a really cold shower, but I'm like beat, right? And while I'm in the shower, I realize that today is the birthday of my best friend that passed away in 2018. So that was just like another gut punch icing on the cake. And then the cherry on top is that I've gotten word that a few players' families have gotten COVID, which unfortunately means for me that I'm dropping out for the time being. I had already talked to my husband about this, and we agreed that as long as I'm being safe, uh, it's fine for me to play. But once COVID cases start kind of infiltrating the, the tennis scene, it's time for me to pull back. And frankly, my county is a really high transmission county, so it was really only a matter of time. So I'm actually, um, I'm pretty depressed about it to be honest with you, I, I had a really crappy day and I'm just, you know, I'm just not, I'm not happy about it. I really like to play tennis. I like to be active. I like to be competitive. The women that I play with are like such positive people. So it's really nice to be around them. But the silver lining is that I'm so grateful for the players who did step forward and were very candid about their family's COVID status. I appreciate the information because it let me make an informed decision for myself and my family. I know that they're not necessarily obligated to provide that, so I was still I was still grateful that they did. So, now that I told you about my no good very bad day, let's check in with you. How are you doing? Are you also having a terrible terrible day? No worries. The positive thing is that if you're listening to this, you have a 100% success rate in surviving your crappy days. So take a minute today for yourself, read a book, go for a walk, take a bath, watch TV, play video games, like whatever, whatever raises your mood. We've got this. And now on to what I have been consuming. So I actually read a really good book over this past weekend called The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. I might be pronouncing that wrong. It's spelled H-A-I-G. The concept is a little bit dark and I was like, mm, do I want to read this right now? I don't, I don't know. So the beginning starts out with X amount of time before I decided to die. So the main character does kill herself pretty early on in the book. 
But instead of going like to an afterlife, heaven, hell, whatever you believe in, she ends up going to a place called the Midnight Library. And in this library, there's an infinite number of books filled with what her life would have been if she'd made different choices at different points in her life. It's a really interesting concept. So the catch is that if she finds a life or a book that she likes that does not disappoint her, she can stay there and live it out. So this concept is something that I'd really never seen before. If it's been done before, I've, I've personally never seen it. I've also not read every book on the planet, but for me, this was really new and really fresh. I really enjoyed this book. would totally recommend even for people who, like myself, were like, eh, do I want to read this book about suicide? I don't know. I think that it was an awesome book for like a perspective reset. You might not think it at first, but you will. Okay, I promise you, I promise you, you will. So totally recommend that one. Five stars for me. I also finished before that 56 Days by Katherine Ryan Howard. I think last time we spoke, I was like 75% of the way through. And I said that there was like a major twist and the thing just kept twisting until the end. I did not see the end coming, really, really enjoyed it. So if you're looking for like a good murder mystery, I know it's like set just before the pandemic lockdown, which like for me was also like, mm, I don't know, do I want to do that? Maybe do it. Trust me. It's not like all the TV shows where like we're doing a pandemic episode is not like that. I think it is a really good use of the, the time and the setting. And it's something that is kind of fresh right now, but I think in the future, it, I think it'll age well as, as a book, in my opinion. So that one was also five stars for me. As for my next book, I am stuck between if I should start Dune or if I should read The Last Apothecary. Dune, as you might know, is very heavy sci-fi, like iconic sci-fi. Most people have read it. I have not. I say most people have read it. I, I would rephrase that to most people who say they're into science fiction have read Dune, and I haven't. The Last Apothecary is more like historical fiction fantasy. I love fantasy. I'm not really into historical fiction most of the time. So I don't know if that's something I really want to delve into at the moment. My attention span is kind of, kind of crappy at the moment, but uh, we'll see. I think I'll keep it on my list because it's rated really well. It has amazing reviews. So it's probably, I'm probably going to read it eventually, but the Dune movie is coming out in October, which is just next month at this point. And I like to read the book before I see the movie. I feel like it gives me a different way to look at the movie and maybe the movie will present things that the book didn't or vice versa. So yeah, I personally just like to do that. So Dune might be the move for me. Although I have heard that the beginning is kind of like a slog before you get going and then it hooks you and you can't put it down. So um, maybe I'll give it a try. I think it's around 600 pages. So maybe I'll give it 100 pages before I'm like mm, moving on maybe. I don't know. I hate to stop a book before I finish it, but I'm also starting to think that life is a little bit too short to spend on books I don't enjoy. So, as for my trash TV addiction, it might be a problem. It might not. I don't know. I did finish Love Island UK. It ended pretty much how I expected it to. 
when the final four were announced, I predicted what order they would be. So it was just kind of pretty obvious. By that time, uh, one of the main couples had left already for reasons related to faking it for the TV show, which also seems like a really weird concept that we have now. Like people want to be on these reality shows specifically for like Instagram fame or something. And that's that's really strange and is disturbing the sanctity of my reality TV shows. I know it sounds really stupid, but I kind of like the more authentic feel, I guess. And I know it's like reality TV. It's not cinema <laughs> by any by any stretch, but like on Bachelor in Paradise, which I am also watching, Brendan and Piper are also doing the same stuff, which is like, yikes. And they're kind of bad at it. Like they're they're fully talking about it on camera. And I don't know if that's really gonna help them. I don't know. I don't know. Seems weird. I'm interested to see what happens in the future. And maybe the editors are just using it as like a plot device. But I'm I'm hooked regardless. I am also watching season two of C, which in my opinion is better than season one. Season one was more like world building and you kind of had to tell us why the world was blind and then kind of show us how people had adapted to their blindness. And now in season two, it's very much centered instead of on the kids, it's centered more on Baba Voss. And he's my favorite character in the show anyway. So that for me is is great as far as action is concerned. Speaking of world building, I have been feeling a little bit like we're in a dystopian novel lately. What with the pandemic and the bills passed in Texas. If you had not heard, the Senate Bill 8 was passed in Texas on September the 1st. This bill outlaws abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. And this is something I'm a little bit hesitant to talk about because it's kind of like one of those topics. You know what I mean? It's like religion and politics. You just don't really don't really talk about it unless you're in close company. But after the passage of this bill, I feel like it's more important than ever to speak about abortion, the facts about abortion, and just kind of try to destigmatize it. So we'll jump into it right after this. Okay, so my goal here, before I really jump in, is really just to educate people. And I will, of course, share some anecdotes with you guys and share my opinion, but my primary goal is to educate about this bill, about Senate Bill 8, and about abortion in general. So if you're down for that, let's let's go, let's lay out the facts. I have collected these facts from sources such as Planned Parenthood, 
the Guttmacher Institute, news articles, and the actual text of the Senate bill, which is available on capital.texas.gov. So Senate Bill 8, also called the Heartbeat Bill, was passed in Texas on September the 1st. This bill bans abortion as soon as a fetal heartbeat is detected, which typically occurs at around six weeks of pregnancy. This ban is only bypassed in cases where the person has a life-threatening medical emergency. There are no allowances for rape or incest victims. This bill also allows anyone, any private citizen, to sue a Texas doctor who performs or intends to perform an illegal abortion. There has also been discussion that this bill could allow anyone assisting a person in getting an abortion to be sued, including, for example, an Uber driver, if an Uber driver drives them to the abortion clinic, or even if a friend sends them money to help cover abortion costs, they could be sued as well. This lawsuit clause in the bill only applies in the state of Texas and not to any procedures done outside of state lines. So the fact that private citizens can bring lawsuits against anyone assisting a woman in getting an abortion feels a lot like a wild, wild west kind of scenario, like citizens arrest kind of things. And there's actually a lot of fear in articles I read about people becoming essentially like bounty hunters for these kinds of activities. So um, I, I think that that's kind of a slippery slope, to be quite honest. But that's actually not the the focus of what I want to talk about today. I really do want to focus on educating about abortion in general. So you can't really talk about abortion without talking about Roe v. Wade. We all learned about this in school, but I will give a brief overview nonetheless. So Roe v. Wade was a Supreme Court case in 1973 where it was ruled that the Constitution protected a woman's right to an abortion prior to the viability of the fetus. And ironically, this case was also based in Texas. The state statutes at the time prohibited abortion, except in cases where it was necessary to save the life of the pregnant person, which sounds a lot like SB-8, which was just passed. (laughs) Anyway, uh, after Roe v. Wade, 46 states needed to amend their own abortion law. So after this case, it was determined that women have the right to abort pre-viability without undue interference from the state, and the state may restrict abortion post-viability. So again, just based on the facts of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court case almost 50 years ago, this bill is in direct violation of what was decided back in 1973, which is interesting, I think. Because the text of the bill expressly states that if a civil suit is brought against someone for providing or helping someone get an abortion after six weeks in Texas, the defendant cannot say the bill is unconstitutional in their defense, which sounds like they definitely know it's unconstitutional, which baffles me about how this was passed at all in the first place. And I think that... Part of the problem is a lack of education surrounding even just pregnancy. The governor of Texas is Greg Abbott, and he stated that women have a full six weeks to get an abortion still. 
there's there's a couple problems with with this. A lot of women don't know they're pregnant by six weeks. To someone who doesn't know how the weeks of a pregnancy are measured, it might sound like, oh my god, like who's not paying attention to their period? It has nothing to do with that. Okay, so a pregnancy is measured from the first day of the last period. So if I have a period on day one, but I miss my period on day 28, and I take a pregnancy test and it's positive, that would mean that I am four weeks pregnant. Okay. So realistically, if my cycle or a woman's cycle is an average of 28 days, which is four weeks, the soonest she would know is like four weeks that she's pregnant, likely five weeks, because a lot of people also don't know this, that women's cycles are not regular. It's not 28 days, 28 days, 28 days. A cycle is considered normal with a length anywhere from 21 days to 35 days. So around three weeks to five weeks. So if my cycle is normally five weeks long and I have a missed period, most people don't take the pregnancy test on the day of that they're expecting their period. It's usually a couple days, right? Because we've all experienced a period that's a couple days late. Periods can be late for a whole bunch of reasons outside of pregnancy, including stress or what you've been eating or if you're dehydrated. So if my cycle is 35 days long and I take a pregnancy test two or three days after my missed period, I'm already almost at the six weeks. So I have just a couple days to get my get the abortion if that's, of course, what I chose to do. The bill, as I mentioned also makes no allowances for rape or incest victims. The governor said that Texas will work tirelessly to eliminate rapists, which is, yeah, I I don't think I really need to even provide, (laughs) provide an opinion on that. I will let you draw your own conclusions. But yeah, that's, that's that, okay? So, because my goal here is to educate, I'm going to provide some abortion statistics. And I love a good statistic because numbers don't lie, right? It's just, it's just fact, okay? So, first, one in four women has had an abortion. It's 25%. So, likely, you listening to this probably know someone who has had an abortion, even if they haven't said anything about it. There's a lot of talk that talk about these late-term abortions. And while they're not unheard of, they're actually quite rare. So as a matter of fact, 92% of abortions were performed at less than 13 weeks gestation. And this is from a 2019 study. And just as a note, a fetus is considered viable at 24 weeks. So most abortions were performed more than two months before it was considered viable. There's also a lot of discussion that, well, what if a woman regrets it? And what if she didn't, she wasn't totally sure? And there are definitely people who do regret it. However, 
99% of people who get an abortion still feel that it was the right decision five years later. People get abortions for all kinds of reasons. Health reasons, personal reasons, whatever their reason. It doesn't really matter. It is their choice. And the numbers show that 99% of people still think that it was the right choice for them five years down the road. I've also heard that these very restrictive abortion laws are to protect women's lives, right? Because people think that abortion is deadly. And of course, people can die from an abortion procedure, from either a medical procedure or the surgical procedure. Definitely possible. However, childbirth is statistically 14 times more deadly than abortion. I think the way to have fewer abortions is to have greater sex education and greater access to birth control. And as a matter of fact, I do have a statistic for this. Between 2008 and 2014, abortions declined more than 30%. And this was attributed in the study to better education and better access to birth control methods. I have also heard people talking about like tax dollars being used for abortions. And I don't have a statistic for this, but I do have a fact for you. Okay, so federal funds are only used for abortion in cases of rape, incest, or if the pregnancy endangers the mother's life. This policy is called the Hyde Amendment. And while it's not a permanent law, it is attached to the Congressional Appropriations Bill for the Department of Health and Human Services, and it has been renewed annually by Congress. Okay, so all that information, and you might still be asking yourself, okay, Chelsea, what, what's the point? Let's get to the point. Because abortion is one of those topics, like religion and politics, that you just kind of don't talk about, it has become this highly stigmatized and shameful thing that other people do, that irresponsible people do, Abortion is a very common procedure. Abortion is healthcare. Banning abortion will not get rid of abortion. It will just make it more dangerous. I listened to some podcasts while preparing for this episode, and Vox, V-O-X, the same people that do the Explained series on Netflix, they have a podcast that comes out daily, and they did an episode about SB8. And they said that abortion-related fatalities dropped by more than 80% after Roe v. Wade, and that this was no coincidence. 80%. So, even when abortion was flat-out illegal, when literally 46 states, as I mentioned before, had virtually outlawed abortion, women were still doing what they could do to get one regardless. And these methods are, are crazy. We've heard of the wire hanger method. Some women would literally poison themselves to make their body expel the fetus or the embryo. Some women would even throw themselves down a flight of stairs just so they would not be pregnant anymore. In thinking about these kinds of methods... 
I wonder if it wouldn't be important for us to try to empathize with women. If you're willing to literally put your life in danger just so you don't have a pregnancy, maybe it's important for us to look at this. Maybe it's important for us to focus on truly helping women, not simply reducing access. I think it's extremely important to be fully informed of all of your choices, especially when it comes to something this serious. But I think once you have this information, it is equally important that you're able to make a choice that's right for you. And what's right for somebody else might not be right for me. So who am I to tell someone what they can do with their body or what they should do or what they're allowed to do? They have to live with the consequences or with the reality of their decision, whatever that decision is. All I'm advocating for here and trying to educate people about is different options and the truth about these options and what happens if these options are not available. So even with all of this information, I, living in Texas, still need to comply with other state regulations in addition to this this bill. In Texas, those regulations look like needing to go into a clinic and get an ultrasound or a sonogram to confirm the pregnancy. You need to be given information about the procedure and all of your other options. You need to look at the ultrasound or sonogram and kind of see everything, just have all the information presented to you. And now with this new bill, you actually need two ultrasounds. So I'll break it down in in a hypothetical. It might make it a little bit easier to understand. Okay. So let's say I track my cycle diligently. Let's say that I find out at five weeks which is very early, that I'm pregnant. I have to go into a clinic and they have to confirm the pregnancy via a transvaginal ultrasound. If you don't know what a transvaginal ultrasound is, it it's like a wand, kind of looks like a curling iron, if you've ever seen a curling iron, and it is lubricated and then inserted into the vagina. And that is how they're able to see such a small piece of tissue. Because of this... Texas regulation, where the pregnancy must be confirmed by this ultrasound, I have to wait until six weeks to go into a clinic to get this confirmation. And this is because, according to UT Southwestern Medical Center, it is not until around six weeks that any part of the fetus is visible for this confirmation. So basically, At six weeks, which is the soonest I can get into a clinic and follow through with all of the rest of the regulations, I might already be precluded from an abortion if that's what I wanted to move forward with. That doesn't include the second clinic visit, which is also required in Texas, which now, because of this Senate bill, requires a second invasive (laughs) transvaginal ultrasound, to confirm that you are still eligible for the abortion procedure that you're seeking. So even if I find out almost as soon as I could possibly find out that I'm pregnant, I still might not be eligible for 
the procedure that I, I'm desiring. And that's kind of the problem with the bill. Because of all of these other requirements by the state, this bill effectively bans abortions. And Roe v. Wade, almost 50 years ago, said that that is unconstitutional. That's problematic, in my opinion. We are going against a Supreme Court decision from 1973, and this was allowed to pass into law. Okay? So, let's talk about all the social media posts that I've seen flying every which way lately. They go kind of like, well, I stand with Jessica, who just found out that her baby will be stillborn if she must carry it to term. And while I appreciate the sentiment of support, I don't think that that accounts for all people who seek abortions. Some people might be child-free. Some people might not be financially or emotionally ready for a child. Some people might have been following all possible precautions to prevent this, and yet it still happened. There is no birth control that is 100% effective. Okay, and I personally relate to this. Okay, this is something I really hadn't really planned to talk about. It's not something I'm ashamed of or something I feel like I have to hide, but I kind of just didn't really want to deal with other people's opinions about my decision that was best for myself. But given where we are now, with the passage of this bill, I think it's more important than ever for people to know that, you know, this happened to me. This is how I chose to deal with it. Okay, so my story starts in 2020. We are in lockdown for the pandemic. I have an IUD at the time, which I felt was like a godsend because it's a long acting form of birth control. The one that I had was good for three years. And I still had a year and a half left before I had to replace it. I do track my cycle very, very religiously. I've always known that I don't want to have children. So this is something I've really kept on top of. So even now I take the birth control pill. I am very careful to take it at the same time every day. I've had the ring. I make sure to put it in at the same time every month. So I've, I've, always been very cautious. And the IUD is one of the single most effective birth control methods for women available today. Okay, so I had an IUD. I missed my period. And at first, I really wasn't too concerned because I'd had late periods with the IUD before. As a matter of fact, one of the side effects of an IUD is missed periods, irregular cycles, bleeding between periods, I mean, it is known <laughs> to mess up your period, but I was about a week late, so I took a test, and that little faint pink line popped up, and so I took another one, and I had another faint pink line, and I I was devastated, right? This is somewhere I never wanted to be, and that's why I had taken such precautions with my birth control choices. So the first thing I do is I go tell my husband and I'm, I'm visibly upset. And he's like, okay, well, why are you upset? Like, what's, what's going on? 
And I'm just like, I never wanted to be here. I, I got this IUD, which was actually incredibly painful to get, specifically so that there would be no human error with my birth control. I couldn't mess it up. It was the most effective form of birth control available to me. And I'm still here. I never wanted to be here, especially at the height of a pandemic, right? That's, that's not the move for me. So I made an appointment with my gynecologist. I went in the next day and they did another urine pregnancy test for me. And they're like, yep, you are definitely pregnant. We need to take out your IUD. They took it out. It was still in place, so it shouldn't have failed, but it did. And I asked my doctor, I'm like, can you provide me with any kind of information about my options? He's like, no, I don't do that here. Like, all right, cool. Healthcare providers are perfectly able to not provide any health information that they don't want to, so that's okay. I did my own research. I found an abortion clinic near where I live, and I scheduled made an appointment for a couple days from that day. And the reason that it was a couple days from that day is because I was not yet six weeks pregnant, and they would not see me until I was six weeks along. This is because they needed to do that ultrasound. So in the couple days leading up to this appointment, I am a basket case. I am stressed. I already have morning sickness. I hate this. I hate everything about it. And I told my husband, I'm like, look, if we're going to change our mind about wanting children, now is the time. I'm already pregnant. Some people try months or years to get pregnant. So we want to have children, now is the time for us to change our mind. So we both took a day and we came back together and I was like, all right, so what do you think? He's like, I, I've been trying to think about it. I've been trying to imagine it, imagine what it would be like, but this is just not the life that I wanted for us. This is not the life that I imagined for us and I still don't want it, even knowing our current situation. And I completely agreed. So we went in for my appointment. I had to go into the appointment by myself because of COVID. He did drive me to the clinic, which was very, very sweet. I spoke to the doctor, filled out a bunch of paperwork. They did the transvaginal ultrasound and they showed me what was on the screen. I looked at what was on the screen. Like, all right, that's kind of weird. Don't like that. And they're like, okay, come back Monday my appointment was on a Friday. So over the weekend, it's like the longest weekend of my life. I just want to get this over with. That Monday, I go back in first thing in the morning. I bring my payment because I do have to pay out of pocket. I give them the payment. I take pills in front of the doctor that will stop the development of the embryo. They give me another packet of pills and they tell me, 24 hours from now, you put these in your cheeks, like literally between your teeth and your cheek, let them dissolve, and then swallow them. And it should happen pretty quickly from there. So I go home and I'm like, I'm starting to feel kind of relieved. Like, okay, we can just get this done. This is happening. Uh, it's going to be over soon kind of thing. And 24 hours later, I took the second set of pills and just like the doctor said, it happened pretty quickly after that, or it started to happen, I should say. 
it's like four to six hours of of agony of like the worst period cramps you could possibly imagine and then two weeks from then i had a follow-up to make sure everything was expelled that my uterus was empty i got on birth control pills because clearly the iud did not work for me and we're here i've been on several different kinds of birth control since then and I've been, I've been even more careful than I, than I normally am because I, I don't want to be there again, especially now with this bill, because I, I feel that the likelihood of that option being available to me, even though when I did have my ultrasound, there was no heartbeat activity. I, I don't think that, I don't know that I would be able to get in in time for it, for it to happen for me again. And and it, it hits kind of home for me. I've seen a lot of rhetoric about, well, why not just put it up for adoption? And like, let's just be perfectly honest. Our foster system in the U.S. is far from perfect. There are half a million children waiting to be adopted and a million prospective parents, which kind of sounds like there should be enough parents for the children, but whether it be age or, or something else, these children are not the right children. It's not like a guarantee that if you put a child up for adoption, it will find itself in a loving home. I do know what it's like to have a birth father, my birth father, who knows that I exist and has made zero effort to get to know me, which would be pretty much what would happen if, if someone who didn't want children like myself gave up a child for adoption. I, I, I just don't want that. And, and people tell me all the time that I'll change my mind. And that kind of belief is why I, to this day, have been unsuccessful in convincing a doctor to let me have a tubal ligation, which is a, essentially female sterilization. They say, I'm only 28. I've never had a child before. I might change my mind. I wonder why this same logic isn't applied to people who are pregnant. I'm only 28. I might change my mind. You know? And not to mention, if you put a child up for adoption, you do have to go through the pregnancy. And pregnancy is really, really hard on the body. Complications are... They're not nothing, okay? You can get gestational diabetes. Pregnant women are immunosuppressed, so they're more likely to have infections. Pregnant women can become anemic. You can be severely and persistently nauseous, so much so that you have to be hospitalized. And especially now, in a pandemic, that is not ideal. You can have pelvic floor disorder, which you will have to deal with for the rest of your life. I've heard stories of people literally losing their teeth after having been pregnant. Blood clots, stroke, embolism, cardiomyopathy, and, of course, death. People die in childbirth. People die from pregnancy. And I just don't know that people take that seriously enough. I don't understand why anybody, a woman or otherwise, should have to put their body through trauma if that's not something that they want to choose. I'm not telling anyone what they should or shouldn't do. I'm not 
advocating for abortion being the best choice or the only choice. I am offering my own experiences and my opinions based on those experiences. But it's your body and your choice. And that's what I'm advocating for. And that's why I'm trying to educate people on what actually abortion is. You need to do whatever you think is right for yourself and your family, period. I don't have any right to tell you what you can or cannot do, what you should or should not do. That's all there is to it, okay? So back to the main point of this episode is that Senate Bill 8, if you oppose it, what can you do? You can donate to Planned Parenthood, which has already filed a suit against the state of Texas for this bill. You can donate to the Lilith Fund, which is one of the oldest abortion funds in Texas, and it's been dedicated to helping people get the care they need. They are also part of the legal effort to block SB8. You can donate to Whole Woman's Health, which is a holistic health provider. They are also involved in the legal effort to block this bill. If in-person activism is more your thing, the Women's March is happening on October the 2nd, 2021 in several locations in North and South America. You can go to womensmarch.com to find a march near you. You can also contact your state representatives and voice your dissent to the bill and many like it all across the U.S. And most importantly, and something that I think people underrate, make sure you vote in local and national elections. This is so important. This is the voice that we have in our country, that we are privileged to have in this country. So we need to use it and try to make it the country that we want to live in. Because the thing is that even if you yourself would never ever in life have an abortion, that shouldn't preclude someone else from making a choice for themselves. So on that note, we are about at the end of our time together. I will see you guys in a couple of Tuesdays. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at WriteCBrown, W-R-I-T-E-C Brown, or follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Your So Quiet Pod, Y-O-U-R-E, So Quiet Pod. You can also visit my blog and website at cbrownauthor.com. And as always, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to help out your favorite introvert. Okay, love you. Bye.